What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, who deserves a bailout? It seems that every 10 years we have some type of, of, of disaster. We seem to be underprepared because even in the best of times, we spend more than we even have. Ken Feinberg, known for his work on the 9-11 Compensation Fund, on the moral hazard in shoring up the U.S. economy. We are not well prepared. We don't anticipate tragedies like this. And media mogul Barry Diller does see opportunity, but it's in the very long term. I don't think it's until probably September, October, November, December, really get life back. The fear is the next thing that's going to happen fall. It's Thursday, April 16th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, welcome to Squawk Pod. First up on today's podcast, another release from the Labor Department revealed over 5.2 million Americans filed first-time unemployment claims in the last week. It's a little lower than the claims of the previous two weeks, but not by much. This week's report brings the total of unemployment filings to about 22 million Americans and wipes out almost all of the jobs created in the U.S. since the Great Recession. As coronavirus protection measures prompt more and more businesses to close, the government is attempting to think beyond the shutdown. President Trump is expected to release a new set of guidelines about reopening the country. He held calls yesterday with business leaders from across the country and plans to consult governors on what's next. We'll be opening up states, some states much sooner than others. And we think some of the states can actually open up before the deadline of May 1st. And I think that that will be a very exciting time indeed. Governors are looking forward. They're chomping at the bit to get going. The consensus among those business leaders the president consulted, the country needs to ramp up COVID testing before getting back to work. Here's Joe Kernan. A lot of talk with what to do here with President Trump and who he's talking to and trying to figure out exactly how uh, to move forward in terms of reopening Restarting the uh, the economy, this great economy we have. Oh, I sound like him, don't I, Beth? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's such a tricky question, and I, I I've tried to put myself in a lot of different people's shoes. It's it's one thing to be here, kind of in the epicenter in the United States, and know how scary it is. It's you try and figure out how it feels out in other parts of the country, and you know, it's just a big country, a lot of different places, and, and people are going to have a mm. lot of different opinions. I do want right. to hear more from the scientists, from the doctors on this, but obviously you want to hear what the business leaders have to say, too, how they plan on tackling it. And a lot of them had issues, too, that I think there are concerns if they bring their employees back too early, people get sick, what that will mean, a second shutdown potentially, and just whether or not they'd be liable for anybody getting sick that that's brought back to the job, too. So I think there are so many concerns and so many different perspectives that it's going to take a little time to play this out. Hey, Andrew, Becky, sir? the thing no I, keep hearing about, I, keep hearing about, I keep hearing about two things. One is the li- uh, the liability issue, by the way, is now there's a huge question about whether it's shared by the company. It's a little bit of question whether it's shared by actually the real estate uh, owner, the landlord, if in fact they're going to do temperature checks. Um, if you have shared elevators, for example, at a building that's not just one company building, 
who's responsible uh, for all of it. And the other question, though, is in, an ish, in, a, in a world where so much of us are knowledge workers, there's a, there's a question of, of how many of those people need to come back. And the other part of the business, the restaurants, uh, the, the sort of retail world, the idea of even coming back is sort of up up in the air because the flip side is, is there really going to be demand? What's the demand? So, right. sure, right? right? That, that, where, is, where is the demand going to be? that's one of the things be? I was thinking about. And, well, and, and because we have such a service economy right now, because, because we've swung so far from a manufacturing economy to a service economy, the demand picture is going to be the biggest issue. Every time you hear about shutdowns right. for things for airlines, uh, not going to different cities, it's the demand picture that's driving that. You hear about stores closings, yes. and a lot of times it's the demand picture that's driving right. that. So you, you can open an economy, but then you're going to have to wait and see how, how things shake out. And that's the, the big kind of crazy question. You heard from right. David Solomon yesterday at Goldman Sachs, where he was talking about looking at a recession that lasts, he thinks, potentially the rest of the year. So these are the types of things right. that you, you start to weigh in on, you start to dig in, and the people who really have an idea of what's happening in the infrastructure, what's happening underneath the surface, you want to talk to more and more of those people. As we know, the entire country has been affected by the novel coronavirus pandemic. 22 million Americans have lost their jobs. Small business owners are suffering. Retail, among many other industries, is getting crushed. We learned yesterday retail sales for March fell 8.7%. That's the biggest drop ever seen in government data. Meanwhile, the Trump administration has reached an agreement with major airlines for a $25 billion bailout to prop up that industry. Airlines including American, Delta, United, Southwest, and JetBlue applied for portions of the $25 billion in payroll grants. That required the companies not to furlough or cut the pay rates of employees through September 30th. U.S. airlines employ some 750,000 people, and those grants were part of the more than $2 trillion coronavirus relief package signed into law last month. But the question remains, which industries and companies deserve to get bailed out? Ken Feinberg has been key to addressing challenging questions just like that. He is best known for serving as the special master of the federal September 11th Victim Compensation Fund of 2001. He's also worked with companies dealing with compensation due to loss like BP, General Motors, and Boeing. Feinberg has been appointed to two presidential-level commissions because of his experience and expertise and has a distinguished teaching career at Harvard Law School, Georgetown Law Center, and Columbia University Law School just to name a few. He was on Squawk Box today. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. One of the big questions that this entire pandemic and the response has created, and you've seen it play out on the air right here on CNBC, is this idea that we have effectively socialized the losses and privatized the gains all over again. And uh, everybody wants to get this economy moving as fast as humanly possible, but there are going to be winners and losers picked along the way. How should it be done? That's democracy. I mean, you ask the Congress uh, in consultation with the executive branch. They decide the priorities. What's very, very important in all of these programs I've learned over the years is uh, there's got to be bipartisanship. If anybody feels that the program is polarizing politically, uh, it, it's hampered. And I think uh, what's happened here with such a huge bailout package is an attempt by both sides to come together, work out a common blueprint, and then implement that blueprint. All the talk in the world about how great uh, the government is in responding to this crisis pales. You don't get the money out. You don't get it out fast. And people have to see the results. That's the key.
Well, let me let me ask you this, though. And, and, and Chamath Palihapitiya was on, on uh, CNBC last week talking about this very issue. In the case of the airlines, for example, the goal, of course, is to say airlines are critical to our U.S. economy. You want to keep the employees um, employed and on the payroll. But at the same time, in, in the way these bailouts are structured, they're also protecting the shareholders. And the question is, What's critical about airline shareholders relative to any other shareholder, to a shareholder or a sole proprietor of a restaurant who may ultimately go bankrupt? Why should the shareholder of the airline, for example, um, be a beneficiary relative to somebody else? I think the answer is fairly straightforward. There's a, a prevailing view in Washington that the airlines, unlike another company or another industry um, um, group of companies. It is the airlines that are a critical part of this. I think what's happened is Congress has concluded that it is vital to keep the airline industry at least solid uh, for the future of the country. And I think, you know, people can take issue with that implicit in your question. But at the end of the day, elected officials are sitting down with the executive branch and deciding, as a matter of public policy, airlines are not simply uh, mom and pop. They are very, very important to the future of the country. That's what drove the 9-11 fund, as Andrew Sorkin knows very well. The 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund uh, was a result of the airlines recognizing they need help uh, against potential lawsuits. Right. Well, let me ask you this, though. As a matter of public policy over the past decade and specifically over the past several years, uh, corporations in America have lobbied very aggressively for lower taxes uh, to pay less in taxes. Uh, The wealthiest in this country have lobbied very aggressively, successfully to have a lower tax rate. And when all is said and done and you look at who will ultimately be the beneficiary of the, the, the savings that are going to take place here uh, or all of the companies that are going to take place here are the people who are paying less than they would have otherwise. Do you think that's going to change the conversation in America when this is all over? We'll see in November of 2020, I'll tell you that. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like this. This is an asterisk, like the 9-11 attacks were unique. I think what we're going through right now is a very, very, is an aberration from the normal public policy discourse. And I think you you better be careful about drawing too many conclusions from an unprecedented historical situation. But, you know, you could look at all of the things that have happened over the past 30 or 40 years as aberrations, as idiosyncratic uh, pieces. But if you are trying to plan and have a budget for this country in terms of how much revenue you need, how much you need for a rainy day. For better or worse, we now have had 9-11, we've had 2008, we've had uh, uh, now 2020 in this pandemic. It seems that every 10 years we have some type of of, of disaster that requires some kind of major infusion of capital from this country. And we seem to be underprepared because even in the best of times, we spend more than we even have. Well, I think that uh, you can make a very strong argument, as you have in your question or statement that uh, we are not well prepared. We don't anticipate tragedies like this. I'm not sure you can anticipate a a coronavirus tragedy like this, but I do agree with the thrust of your question that that we ought to be better prepared for these global um, um, tragedies 
that impact every American citizen and every world citizen, frankly. Um, one of the other questions is what kind of restrictions um, or other types of terms you think should potentially be on these bailouts, not just for the airlines, but potentially across this country. One of the things that's happening is uh, we are obviously uh, putting a lot of money into uh, the economy, by the way, which I think is absolutely necessary. I want to be 100 percent clear. It's absolutely necessary to do these things now in the moment. The question is, you look at the airlines, for example, and come September 30th, if there's not demand uh, for their services, they're very much allowed to start to lay off employees. And so the question is, how much does that really buy you? Oh, I think that's a very, very good question. There's two answers to your, your, your question. First, making sure that the legislation and the regulations that accompany these bailouts very specifically uh, uh, constrain the airlines or any other beneficiary so that the Congress is getting what it intends in the way of protection for individual employees, etc. Secondly, I've learned from experience, you better have somebody who's administering these various programs, administering these programs, independent, very competent, a bipartisan, credible individual, where nobody will question any of the political motivations or the rationale behind these bailouts. Uh, Substance is one thing. Process, getting the money out fast in a way that everybody thinks is credible and apolitical, very, very important. That's why Senator Schumer, for one, I know, was very concerned about making sure that how this how the administration rolls out these programs in a competent, apolitical way uh, was a very important, a very important objective uh, of his. Right. You want the job to oversee this thing? There are thousands of people that can do this job. This is not rocket science. You've got to just brace yourself, follow the statute, follow the regulations, do what's right. And very, very important, I've learned personally, very credible, you have to be apolitical. This is a a public policy assignment that requires credibility, competence, and a sense among the American people that it's being administered in a very fair and equitable way. Ken Feinberg, your national treasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Please stay safe and healthy. Appreciate your time. Coming up, a leader in media and entertainment, Barry Diller. The ISC chairman weighs in on what the American business community needs to get through this crisis. Look, you've got to bail everyone out. Everybody is in the same position. The world stopped. Squawk Pod will be right back. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. While staying at home or stuck at home, you've probably spent a lot of time on your phone. I know I have. Take a look at your apps and recent browser history. Seriously, take a look. Do you see Investopedia or The Daily Beast, Vimeo? 
anything owned by the Match Group? Chances are, yes, which means you'll want to hear from Barry Diller. He's the chairman of Interactive Core, or IAC, the online conglomerate behind these brands. And maybe you know Diller and IAC already. In his 55-year career, he's headed Paramount Pictures in Hollywood. He's built Rupert Murdoch's Fox Broadcasting into the behemoth we know today. And he's helped bring the world Saturday Night Fever, Grease, The Bad News Bears, and The Simpsons. He's also married to fashion designer Dion von Furstenberg. Barry Diller is a famed orchestrator of deals, mergers, and corporate flips. He bought and sold TV Network USA. He bought and spun off Ticketmaster. And he struck a deal with Microsoft to take over Expedia. That one he kept. He's still chairman. And the travel business is a tough one to be in today. Here's Andrew kicking off the conversation with Barry Diller. And while it sounds pretty good, keep in mind this interview was over Zoom. The last time we saw you uh, was in person uh, in the fall when we had just redone our set uh, so, so much has changed since then. Uh, you and I have emailed a little bit, but I'm curious sort of just how you see the landscape right now. Well, I see the landscape as uh, uh, cataclysmic. I mean, I think the landscape is uh, we're in something that it's very hard to be objective about because we're in eye of it. We're inside of it. So we can't really see it for what it is. Uh, but uh, it's it. it, it Look, everybody says the same thing. There's nothing like it before. And while we know some things, we really know nothing. Nothing about what's going to happen, when we're going to get out of it, what we'll be doing, will habits change, will this be some really uh, profound difference in people's lives in the future. But uh, so I, I, I see it as uh, everybody's scared. Uh, the, the fact that we have so much media, so much information, all of it, tell, all of it telling us that we've got to be quite scared about cohabitating with anyone. So right. that ain't good. But, but Barry, Barry, let me ask you this, though. Um, you bought Expedia uh, right after 9-11, and you went through with that transaction even after yep. 9-11 because you believed that on the other side of it, we were going to go back to normal. Absolutely. Do you feel did. the same way about where we are right now? No. Uh, I, I, what I said then was if there's life, there's travel. I still do believe that. But uh, uh, this is not going to be what happened then, which was a very, very quick return to normalcy. That is not going to happen. If at best, we'll have kind of a rolling way out. As far as travel is concerned, while I'm absolutely optimistic that at some point, but I don't think it's soon, I don't think it's until probably September, October, November, December, that you really get life back. And, and in order to travel, you got to have that. So uh, it, it, they're totally different conditions. This is not analogous. I don't think it's analogous to anything. It's certainly not analogous to 9-11. And to, and to uh, the financial crisis in OA. And so given your, your ownership of Expedia and your work at that company, what are you telling the employees there? How are you planning for that? Um, what do you expect that business to look like over the next 18 months? Well, what we're doing at Expedia is we're, you know, somebody bromidically said, uh, no good crisis goes. You know, we're using the time to do a lot of the things that we were not able to do when we were running 
100 miles an hour to keep up with our growth. So we're really spending truly the, you know, the quality time that we spend other than dealing with the difficulties that particularly travel have. People in, you know, it's not, it's not simply travel. You know, it's, a, it, it's in a sense, you can think of it as a small business writ large, you know. One day the door closes and, you know, if you've got a small business, you got nobody coming in and you have no revenue. Well, travel, travel-related companies have no revenue. Expedia, like many travel, large, large travel companies, has a very, very large cost base. So we haven't yet dealt with that specifically. But what we're doing is we're the real planning inside the company is to come out of this stronger than when we went into it. And that's what that's all of the planning that basically we're doing. What do you make of the bailouts of the airlines? Necessary. Full stop. Look, look, you've got to bail everyone out. This is like, you know, when you say, well, you're picking winners, losers, this or that, or you're saying this or that. Everybody is in the same position, which is world stop worldwide. And so anybody who's in commerce and, and you see this, you drive down streets and you see big cities, small cities, and you'd see nothing is open and they're ghost towns. The damage that is being done every day is enormous. Everybody needs to be bailed out of this one-time thing and we'll worry about paying the bills later. And when you think about travel, for example, and the future of business, um, one of the things that's going to be so critical, and we're hearing from other CEOs, is this idea of testing. Maybe you'll get tested on the way into uh, an airplane um, in the future, just so, so everybody knows that everybody on the plane is, is okay. The other question I was going to ask, given this is the travel business is your business, who should pay for all of that in the future? Pay for what? Testing and things like that? I, it'll be absorbed it. in the yep. cost. It'll be absorbed, I think, in the cost of business. But, you know... One, what, what has to happen is the fear has to, the fear of associating with other people. You know, plenty of friends of mine who say, well, I'm not going to go to the theater uh, or I'm not going to do this because I'm afraid. Or actually, right now, people are saying, even though you've been isolating for three weeks, you can't come over to my house, which is kind of nuts uh, to me. But the fear is the next thing that's going to have to fall. Until that happens, whether you test people on the way in or whatever you do, at some point, everybody's going to have to be comfortable being a foot away from other people. And if that, if that fundamentally changes, then a huge amount of our infrastructure disappears, which I don't think will happen. Fair, I just had a question about what you were, you were saying about how people say, okay, even though you've been isolated for three weeks, you can't come over to my house. And I, I think that goes into the idea that not everybody treats isolation or treats social distancing the same. I know people who are staying at home, but they go out to the stores, maybe they go out to restaurants, maybe, you know, they have certain things that they would do that maybe I wouldn't feel comfortable with. I think that's the, the biggest problem is we all realize you're only as safe as your weakest link and you can't tell or, or know exactly what somebody else's standards are or how safe they're actually Yes, but being. you kind of have to get over it. I mean, you know, you go into a theater and you're sitting literally within inches of people. 
you go in thinking that no one is going to come in with enormous toxicity, toxicity, whatever that is. No one is going to come in who is got some terrible communicable disease and sneeze on you. You kind of just trust in that. Well, you're going to have to get, we're all too frightened right now. We're going to have to get over it or everything will change. Hey, hey, Barry, wanted to pivot the conversation, talk a little bit about media and also the state of advertising, uh, given the IAC business. How do you see that playing itself out over the next 12 months? It's the Taylor two cities for me. On one hand, I have IAC, which is advertising and in home services and in dating and all of that you know of course it's hurt some but it's stable and i see very well capitalized and so i got all these hungry players in my company who want to go out and buy things that are very aggressive and think of this opportunity while on the other hand i have expedia which has uh no revenue so uh you know, it's a bit of a weird uh, kind of constant imbalance. But as far as advertising is concerned, well, why would you? I mean, at Expedia, for instance, we spend five billion dollars a year in advertising. We won't spend one billion dollars in advertising probably this year. Uh you just writ that across everything, there you are. And so that's the travel industry. The, the question is, how hard do you think it's going to hit other media businesses? Well, of course it's going to um, hit. I mean, travel, even industry some of the big- a, travel industry is a proxy. I mean, yes, there are some things that you worthwhile advertising during this period. Uh, you know, basics, things like that, which probably don't need much advertising. But uh, uh, look- we haven't seen economically, I mean, people, why anybody is pouring over these first quarter numbers, clueless uh, uh, to me, how the market can go up in this atmosphere, insane. But uh, the get into the second quarter, you're going to see advertising across the boards. There's, why would it sustain? Barry, you just said something very interesting, which was that, you, you didn't understand why the market could go up in this environment. What do you think the, the fair value for the market would be in this environment? How the hell would I know? It's, you know, no one, no one knows these things. But when, when we see the damage that is being done everywhere, which we'll really see in the second quarter, in the first quarter, how can you get fair value? How can you get fair value for a company? And, you know, again, I absolutely believe a year or two from now, this will be over. One way or the other, this is going to be over or we're over. So, but how can you value that today? I don't think you can do it. Um, I certainly can't. In the, in, the media space that, in the media space that you've lived in for so long, Netflix just passed Disney in market cap yesterday. And We've had lots yeah. of conversations over the years about streaming and the future of big media. And I, I'm, I'm wondering how you, how you see all of this shake itself out and, and what the pandemic well, I, does to that whole space. Well, I think the streaming, it'll have an effect on it for sure. Again, you, get, you go a few more months 
And while people say, well, one of the last things I'll cut is my subscription to entertainment, which I desperately need to just get through the day. Uh, but that is eventually going to take its toll. People truly will not have the discretionary income to afford. But, you know, it, it doesn't change the dynamics of anything. You've, you've got the competitors. Streaming has taken over the world. Hollywood is irrelevant. The only companies that have a true path, you know, an absolute clear business model path forward have nothing to do with the history of the, of the entertainment business, like Amazon and uh, uh, Netflix. Everybody else, good luck to them. I mean, they may be able to build subscription services that may be profitable, but that world has changed forever. Nothing is nothing in this. Uh, I think this pandemic has nothing to do with basically, basically with that other than earnings are going to be much less for a while. Right. Uh, you talked about opportunities uh, during this pandemic, or at least that there were people w- within IC thinking about that. Are there places that you, th- you imagine you might try to invest some money over the next 12 months? Oh, my God, yes. Look, of course there's opportunity. You just have to have a very long view, very sure-footed. You have to look at, at things as not only they are, but as you think there will be. But we're looking at some very large uh, potential acquisition for IAC. And, of course, this is the environment where if you uh, are acquisitive, you're going to do the thing that for many years everybody's asked for. Oh, my God, everything's overinflated. Prices are crazy. Can't buy things for this or that without these huge premiums. But you know what? That's all gone. So there's if you've got capital, you know, it could be a better time than to exploit right. what is, a, you know, terrible downfall for many companies. Barry, we've often talked politics with you over the years, and I'm curious what you think is going to happen politically in this country as a result of this pandemic um, and what its impact is going to be on business, because you start to think about the enormous debt that we've taken on, the questions about taxes, corporate taxes, individual taxes, buybacks, dividends. How do you think that changes? Well, again, I think if you're as far as buybacks are concerned, it's it's also a great environment. If you've got plenty of capital uh, and you don't have a huge cost base that you've got to service with no revenue, then for sure, buy back your stock. Uh, politically, this is, again, of the many unknowns, I don't know. You know, we, we, we currently have an administration as infomercial. So I, I don't know whether in the end people say, please, no more of that. I'll take any alternative or whatever. I can't predict. I can't predict, I can predict it because I actually think the infomercial infomercial administration end in uh, November. But uh, but as far as long-term, it, the damage that's being done can't be assessed right now. It's going to have a huge political impact. Whether that tilts you this way or that way, I, I can't really tell. But th- this is not short-term, the effects. Barry Diller, uh, we appreciate uh, you spending time with us this morning. It's always an education. Thank you. Wish I could be less bleak. And, uh, I am very long term. Okay, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older 
like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Please tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen. Leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find Squawk Pod and tweet us at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.